Scripture reading this morning comes from James chapter chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This morning, the elders have asked Barry England to speak to us on a special subject. We're talking about unity and diversity today, and certainly uh, that's a prayer on the hearts of all the elders. We want you to know that we endorse this lesson, that it's one that we think is important. We live in challenging times right now, and there are two specific challenges that uh, we face here at West 7th. One is uh, the great changes that are happening so rapidly in our society and even in the church. And the other is the fact that this congregation, probably more than any other one in this area, is so diverse. And it has always been a a blessing. It's been a strength. We want it to continue to be so. And so we just encourage you to listen to what Barry has to say and to uh, think about these things as we discuss them with you. Thank you. Good morning. Beautiful sunny Sunday morning, and we're ready for it to be back in the 70s, aren't we? Jeff, thank you so much for that prayer. Mike, thank you for those remarks. Uh, Jeff's prayer could not have been better to introduce the topic that I want us to think about this morning. And in fact, uh, at the end of that prayer, I thought probably nothing better could be done than us to just replay that. And to make sure that uh, so many thoughts that were portrayed in that prayer are on our heart and are sincere in what we desire and what we ask of God. God has truly blessed me in my life. I've I've been able to uh, live a very fortunate life. I had deeply convicted and conservative but balanced parents. I have been a member of or worked for many churches and great churches. These churches have varied greatly from a 60-member church uh, in rural West Tennessee for 11 years to a church of the size of 1,200 members or so. I have been members of and worked at churches Uh, in the Bible Belt in Tennessee and North Alabama. I have also been a part of churches outside of the Bible Belt where Catholicism was the predominant religious group. One thing that was very consistent in each of these situations, whether small or large, whether within the Bible Belt or outside, was the diversity that existed within those groups of people. Diversity does exist within people when there are groups of people that involve a few or more. I've worked for three Christian schools and have served on the board for a fourth. And I say that to say there's been a great deal of discussion and a great deal of consideration as decisions have been made in those situations for me, in which we looked very seriously at the changes that are taking place within the church. 
making decisions such as who speaks on campus, who doesn't, what do we endorse, what do we not, how do we deal with traditionalism, how do we deal with change, what's right, what's not. Some of those meetings were difficult. Some of those meetings were extremely stressful. In the process of dealing with all that, you form a lot of questions. And this morning, I still have a lot of questions. I have some answers, but I have way more questions. But the one answer that I have this morning is that God made us very different. He made us a diverse people. And yet, in God having made us diverse and different, He also commanded us to be united. And so that's the thought we want to consider this morning. I want to begin by encouraging us to think a little about what we have here at West 7th. I don't see uh, the Halls and Abraham Lincoln. I think they probably are out visiting this morning, but Jeff, as you led us in prayer, and as I prayed thinking about what a blessed people we are to have West Sabbath, I thought of them. And I think of how the list of blessings that I will share with you in what we have here at West Sabbath is a coveted list. A list that most who are gathered this morning would covet to have. From size to talents to facilities to staff to all of these. And I want you to think with me about West Seventh strengths. First strength I'll list is the strength of history. This church has a strong and great history. I remember as a boy driving by this church building and stopping at the red light on the way to Nashville from Uh, from Wayne County where we lived for five years as we would go to the orthodontist and to visit my grandparents in Nashville. And I remember seeing this church and I have visions in my memory of, of this facility back in the 60s thinking, must be a big church. Must be a strong church. Well, as I find myself in 2015, I look back on that vision of a young boy, and I think he was right. Because this church does have a strong history. West Seventh has a great strength in its diversity, as Mike mentioned. We'll talk more about that. A third strength that West Seventh has is the strength of talents. There's not much that we can't do from the group of people that is a part of this congregation. There are not many talents that are missing. That's a great thing. When I think of the strengths of West Seventh, West I think of the facilities. Now, sometimes we get frustrated. I've never wanted to buy an old house, Jeff, even though I've had one. I've sometimes said, what do you have when you buy an old house? You have an old house. (laughs) And you have to deal with that. And sometimes at West Seventh, we have to deal with the building that has some age on it. But as I was thinking about Abraham Lincoln this morning, I thought, who of us would complain to him about our facility? 
Yeah, that would, be, uh, that would be an interesting discussion, wouldn't it? Oh, how much we take for granted. When I think of the benefits and the strengths of West Seventh, I think of its staff. And I omit myself in this. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the staff, both ministers and, and other staff. There's a great deal of talent among this staff. There's a great deal of unity among this staff. There are great many talents that are exhibited by this staff. And when I spoke at the elders retreat a few Saturdays ago, I somewhat laughingly said, you know, the ministry team is an interesting team because if you look at each of us, we're as different as the day is long. (laughs) And we are. But we get along as well as any ministry team I've seen. We don't see things alike. We see things differently. If we get down to specifics, we'll disagree, we will see things differently, we will analyze and interpret differently, but we're united, we appreciate one another, we have no turf to protect. When I think of the strengths of West Seventh, I think of the eldership, and I'll talk more about that later, but we have a great eldership. I do not say that loosely. When I think of the strengths of West Seventh, I think about people that we just enjoy being around. You know, it, it's one thing to, to go to worship where you really don't enjoy being with the people that you're worshiping with. There have been two churches in our lives, in the lives of Tina and myself, and our adult lives at least, that we have truly enjoyed just being a part of because of the people I'm not saying we didn't enjoy the people in the other, but there have been two churches where you just kind of didn't want to leave afterwards because you were enjoying being with people that you just like being with. One of those was the church in Mobile. That was a good time in our life for us to be around people that were close and, and friendly and just people you could share with. The second church is West Seventh. That's the way we feel. We enjoy being here. There are people here that I just love being around. Why? Partly because we are a diverse group. There are so many Christians today worshiping in groups of 30 or less who covet what we have. But as Mike alluded to, and as I want to discuss this morning, in the midst of all of our strengths, we are also in the midst of difficult times. These are difficult times. And as I grow older, one of the questions that I have is, am I growing cynical? Is it just that you are growing old and therefore it's easy for you to find fault in things, find difficulty in things? Or is it that things really are not that different and that in a sense everything is relative? Well, that's a difficult question at the age of 53 for me to answer. However, I want to suggest that the difficult times that we live in in terms of the church is not a new thing. Difficult times within the church is not new. How far back do you want to go? Well, I'll choose to go back 50 years. Because even within my lifetime, the church has been involved in a lot of difficult times. In my lifetime, the church has dealt with whether or not there's one cup or multiple cups in the Lord's Supper, you're going, in your lifetime? Yes. I remember that issue you dealt with at one of the smaller churches that my dad preached at. 
In my lifetime, we've seen the church deal with whether or not to build fellowship rooms or fellowship halls. I've seen many churches who struggled with whether or not to support orphans' homes from the church treasury, whether or not to build the gymnasium. (laughs) That's one that has been wrestled with. And in fact, I'll even say last Sunday as I was speaking at Waynesboro's homecoming and we had the fellowship meal in that, in that fellowship room, including the gymnasium, I was reminded of what it was like as a child when one of the other religious groups in town built the first gymnasium as a part of their church building that I was aware of and how difficult that discussion was and quite frankly how much criticism there was of that group for doing so. Many of us remember all the discussion about whether or not women could wear pants to church. The discussion of whether or not to have a bus ministry, which version of the Bible to be used, whether or not to have interracial worship. Dealing with movements such as Crossroads or Boston, and so many, many more. How many sleepless nights took place on the part of elders and ministers, church leaders over these issues just in the last 50 years. A church where I preached over 25 years ago had an issue that was a very divisive issue, not only within that church, but among churches in that area. The preacher before me decided to implement learning centers as a a part of Vacation Bible School. In In the process, one of their learning centers that was outside in the field in the back had live animals as a part of it. And oh, how that provoked discussion. Whether or not that was the right thing, what's happening within the Lord's church. And quite frankly, there was a number of churches who decided basically to disfellowship whether formally or informally, that church, even though that's very inappropriate when we consider the matter of the autonomy of the church, basically to pull away from that congregation because they were doing such a thing. While other churches grew to their support very quickly. And today, some 25 years later, what I would suggest is that what really matters concerning that situation that took place many years ago is what adults today are Christians because that was done and because they love to learn to love the Lord more. Or what people today are not Christians because that situation was so divisive that it caused ugliness and negativity. You see, how it was handled... Today, after the fact, when in a sense, the matter of animals in a learning center, probably for most of us, doesn't seem that big of a deal, how it was handled, I guarantee you, has effects and consequences 25 years later. Well, let's talk this morning about this matter of diversity within the congregation. While diversity can be a burdensome thing, it can be very much a strength. Dave Ramsey says, quoting another, in marriage it is good when husband and wife are different because if they are just alike, one of them is unnecessary. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of truth in that. 
As Tina and I drive down the road, she sometimes will say, or maybe I will say, can you believe they painted that house that color? Or can you believe that car, they bought that car that color? And I will usually respond, or maybe she will respond by saying, yes, it would be a great place to live if everybody's car were the color of ours and if everybody's house looked just like ours. There is strength in diversity. And diversity does exist. Diversity exists within our eldership. It does. I'm in the meetings on Wednesday nights. I see these elders who feel differently about situations. I see elders that some of us would place leaning to the left and some of us would place leaning to the right. But what I see within this eldership is an attitude, understanding that they have no individual voice, understanding humility, understanding respect. And within a congregation of 500 people, it is impossible for us to expect everyone else to be exactly where we are. As with most any large group, we are diverse. And I want you to think with me about the some of the diversity that exists here. We are diverse in age. That's a great thing. It's a great thing to have older, more mature members who've been here for many years. We also have youth. And as I think about this congregation, I think each is well represented. There is a good spread. That's a good thing. When you see a church that has so many younger members, but so few older members, their concerns. Same thing is true when the opposite situation exists. The diversity we have at West Seventh involves years of being a Christian. How many years have you been a Christian? Look around. We are within a congregation in which we have members who have been baptized this year. We have adults who have been Christians just very few years. We have members who have been Christians 60, 70, maybe even 80 years. It's a great difference in those two. We are diverse in terms of maturity. Now, if we all were to do a self-analysis, we all would look alike. Why? Well, because maturity, or rather immaturity, is something that somebody else generally has, not us, right? But the truth of the matter is, we are a diverse group in terms of our degrees of maturity. A fourth diversity that exists is places where we have lived. I'm very fortunate to have lived in a lot of different places. I consider that to be a blessing. It's given me many different experiences. Some of us have been here all of our lives, if we were to plot the number of miles traveled outside of Columbia or Murray County, for some that would be very few. Does that take away from their spirituality, their Christianity, their insight? We are diverse. A fifth diversity that we have is the diversity of having varied church experiences. Because we do come from different places. We have had different church experiences. Some good, some bad. We are diverse in socioeconomic areas. 
That's obvious. It's always the case in large groups. We are diverse in personalities. Even within our own families, we have different personality types. And obviously, personality types see things differently. Number eight, we have diversity in desires and needs for worship. Now, be careful and don't read too much into this. God has told us how to worship. And we don't need to vary from that. I'm not suggesting that at all. However, I will say, because we have different personality types, because we have different experiences, because even our emotional makeups are different, we come with different needs and desires from worship. And a simple example is, some people love to sing. Some people have great voices. Their hearts are touched more by singing than anything. And some can't sing. Don't have nearly the heartfelt response from beautiful singing that others do. Is that a problem? No, I don't think so. I think it probably means that that second person has to work harder, has to engage in a more disciplined way, But let me try a second example. Bringing the personality type thing back in. We even pray differently. Even having to do with our degree of attention span. We have different abilities to stay engaged in the prayer. Right? Sometimes we will find ourselves so in left field. For whatever reason... Because of our attention level. Why? We are a diverse group. We are diverse individuals. We have different levels of desire to lead and desire to follow. Some need and desire to lead and some need and desire to follow. But I want to bring one more into this that I think is not on the slide. And that is this. Some have been at West 7th 80 to 90 years and have a deep desire for West 7th to remain what it has been for 80 and 90 years. Some at West 7th are here having come recently, bringing experiences from other church, things that worked well that they want to see put in place and taken advantage of. There are advantages in both of those. I appreciate those who have been here for years and years. I appreciate what this church stands for and what what it has stood for. I appreciate the desire to not turn loose of that. I also appreciate the desire to not turn away a good idea. To not turn away something that has worked effectively. And from that I will say traditionalism, just for the sake of traditionalism, is a bad thing. Change, just for the purpose of change, is a bad and difficult thing. So how do we have unity among the diversity that exists? How do we have unity among diversity? One of the emotional dangers 
within diversity is prejudice and bias. Prejudice and bias. Prejudice is also one of those things that we tend to see in others but not ourselves. I want you to ask with me the question this morning, what would it look like or what would I look like if I could be stripped of all prejudice and bias? What would I look like? What kind of car would I drive? Who would my sports teams be? Would I live on the farm? Where would I go to church? Would I go to church? That last one is one that I want to impulsively respond to and say, of course I would. And I hope that's true. But what would I look like if I could be stripped of all bias and prejudice? The truth of the matter is I can't. It's not possible. Why? Because we are products of our environment. To a degree, we will never understand this side of heaven. What do we do then? Do we accept it? Brag about it? Continue to hold to our traditions and biases? I think the answer to that is that we check our attitudes. It is an important thing to recognize that it exists. And to be careful about forcing our own prejudices and biases on others. You know, when we think of prejudice and bias and how difficult it is. And when we think about the difficult time in which we live, I want to suggest to you that there's nothing new about that as well. If you want to think about the difficulty of dealing with prejudice and bias, go back to the first century church. Think about the traditionalism, the culture that existed when the Lord in His wisdom decided through the death of His Son on the cross and His resurrection to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together. You talk about unity and diversity. That's the epitome, I think, of unity and diversity. I want to turn this morning to Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 14, where Paul dealt with this matter. Romans 14, 1 to 14, verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to the Lord. For none of us lives to ourselves, and no one of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that He might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. 
You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. Look at Paul's attempt to promote unity in the church at Rome. There were two issues that he dealt with. The first issue was whether or not to eat meat. The second issue was whether or not to participate in and celebrate the Jewish holidays that had been in place many years ago, before this time. Were these big deals? Were they significant issues? Absolutely. I'll suggest to us this morning that churches have split over far less significant matters than these that existed in this day. For the Gentiles, they resented the Jews trying to force their long-standing ways on them. For the Jews, they brought traditions regarding what to eat and what not to eat. But how did Paul address it? Well, I'll tell you, he did slip in his opinion, and I think his inspired opinion, in verse 2. And in verse 12, or verse 14 rather, he said, it is fine to eat meat. What did he do with that though? All for the purpose of helping both the Jews and the Gentiles to grow in their faith. He did not force upon one the matter of the other, even though he very well could have. Why? Why? Because he wanted them to continue to grow. He wanted them to continue to grow. To him, in an inspired way as an apostle, he chose not to force the issue. Now, I'm starting to cause us to be uncomfortable here a bit. And I want us to to deal with this matter of when you force the issue. But for right now, what I want us to see in this passage is attitude. Because while he could have gone to those Jews who were so traditional and said, you're wrong, quit forcing your way on the other. If you're going to do that, leave. We're not going to have it. What he said was, keep growing, keep searching. If you want to do that, eating meat or not, in and of itself, is not a big deal. Love the Lord. Love one another. Now again, this kind of talk is is difficult because it poses the question, so do you take a stand for nothing? Just hang on, don't give up on me yet. Let's look at a second passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Paul wanted unity among diversity with the church at Corinth as well. Verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. His desire and His prayer for those diverse members of the church at Ephesus was that they be united in love. Well, let's talk about this matter of tolerance. There is no way to have diversity without tolerance. However, it becomes difficult because the question becomes, what do we tolerate? How far do we allow our fellowship to go? The problem with tolerance is if we're not careful, we can go so far that we have no conviction. That we have no Semblance of right and wrong. Several years ago, I was at a conference at one of our Christian colleges, and the newly selected president at that particular college spoke to the group that I was a part of. And in his talk, he went to the whiteboard and he drew a drew a box. And after he drew that box, he drew a X through it, and he said, "We've got to get rid of the box." I wanted so badly after that devotional was over to go back to the board and to write, is it a matter of doing away with the box or is it a matter of determining the size of the box? I didn't do that. But it almost irritated me because what he was doing seemed to me to be saying tolerate anything. Get rid of the box. There is no matter of right and wrong. How do you do that? I think it is a matter of how big is the box? How definable are the lines? What is our attitude toward it? You know, tolerance is a funny thing. Those to the right are intolerant of those to the left. And those to the left are intolerant of those to the right for being intolerant. Right? We have to be careful not to go too far. Here's the point that I want to make. In my journey of trying to determine who's within the box or who's not, where to draw the lines, I have to be careful. When I believe that everyone else should be at all times exactly where I am in what I believe then two things are happening. The first thing is, I'm expecting everybody else to hit a moving target. Because all of us, as we have gone through life's spiritual journey, have seen things differently from one time to another. As change takes place within the church, is it alright to say that? It is, because it does happen. There are things that are fine to change. As change takes place in the church, then our attitudes, dealing with our experiences, our prejudices, our traditions, at times they change as well. So if every person in this room and downstairs and whoever's listening to me this morning through whatever means, I expect to always be exactly where I am in all ways, then I'm expecting them to hit a moving target because when I was 20, I saw some things differently. 
I expect if I live to be 70, I'll see some things differently then. The second problem when I expect everybody to see things exactly as I see it really is the bigger problem. And that is, if I'm not careful even without realizing it, I will believe that I have all things figured out. And anybody who doesn't see it exactly as I do is wrong. I have sometimes said and more often thought that I'm pretty confident the day of judgment, when it is my turn, the Lord will say to me, you missed some of them. You didn't see this exactly right, but your mind, come on in. May even be that he says, you know, back at this point in your life, you did see it and you drifted away from it. But your mind, come on in. Now, I believe very much in the principle of absolute truth. I believe there are things we can know. It's impossible to read 1 John without drawing that conclusion. I also believe that God did not make any of us in such a way that on the days of our deaths, we would make a hundred on the exam. Now, where we get caught up in is, oh, is an 80 good enough? <laughs> is a 65 good enough? That's why he's the judge. It's not that we are not to make judgments. Matthew 7, we can call it inspecting fruit. We have to make judgments. We have to discern between good and evil. We have to discern between good fruit and bad fruit. Largely, to me, it becomes a matter of attitude and a matter of humility, a matter of compassion and a matter of love. I've seen some ugly situations in churches and schools. Sometimes I have said in those situations that I'm seeing good people say bad things about good people, and that's not good. That's not good. Oh, how we need to check our attitude and our pride. The last thing I want us to consider this morning is that God gave us a system for handling diversity within the local congregation. He put in place a system. He made us diverse. He expects and demands us to be united. And He provided the system for that. Now, I will tell you, the elders did not ask me to present this part. This was not a part of the lesson that I present at the retreat, but I don't think we can deal with this topic today without dealing with the place of the elders. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and verse 28, one of many passages from Miletus, verse 17, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church, and he gave them their marching orders. Watch over yourselves. And all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And among the eldership, God's system calls for mature spiritual leaders, not novices, not proud, gentle, not quarrelsome, not conceited, having a good reputation of those not within the church, not overbearing, 
not quick-tempered, upright, holy, and disciplined. From 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. And as a part of this system, we have a responsibility to them. Notice closely the words of Hebrews 13 verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Notice this line. And look at, each of us should look at ourselves. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no benefit to you. What are elders to do when they have an individual or a group of individuals who come to them from one angle demanding that they make decisions based on how they want to make them? And at that same time, they have an individual or another group of individuals who come to them making demands or significantly pressuring to do exactly the opposite. I don't think this doesn't happen. It does happen. Many of you understand this. Leadership roles, whether at work or even within the family. It's impossible to please everybody all the time. But what is the eldership to do when they have this situation? They do. I've seen it. You've seen it. We've seen it in the last couple of years. Where some come saying it's got to be done this way and others come saying it's got to be done this way. How do the elders deal with that? What are they to do? Maybe better yet, the question should be asked, what if I'm one of those exerting the pressure? And if I'm prone to exert pressure or to be upset when I think something should happen that does not happen, what does that say about me? Now, do our elders make mistakes? Yes, they do. Have I seen some of those mistakes? Yes, I have. Have they seen my mistakes? Yes, they have. Have they seen your mistakes? Yes, they have. Why? It's the way God made us. He made us to be people who mess up. To have judgment that sometimes is not good. He made us to be people who are diverse in what we expect, what we desire, and what we want. But he also made us to be people of compassion and love. People who are humble. People who appreciate the God-appointed authority that our elders have. In conclusion, West Seventh has a strong heritage and a great history. Like any other church, historically there have been difficult times. And for those who are not, uh, who are new to West Seventh or those who are are not uh, fully engaged, you may be asking, what in the world's going on at this church? A lot of things are going on, a lot of good things. Have there been some difficult times? Yes. Are they any worse than the others historically? Personally, I don't think so. Quite frankly, the times that we have gone through have troubled probably most of you all more than they have me. Is it that I don't care? Not at all. I care deeply. But I think through difficulty as is supported by numerous passages, can come strength. I think because of the difficult times that we have seen in the past 50 years, this church is, is strong. 
because of having gone through those, because of learning how to deal with them. West Seventh has a history of doing many things and doing many things first. I wonder how many hours were spent so many years ago in wrestling among the elders with whether or not to begin West Tennessee Children's Home. I wonder how many hours were spent in trying to decide years ago whether or not to hire the first youth minister. I wonder how many hours were spent in trying to decide whether or not to build a teen center or a gymnasium or to have home Bible studies. For each each of these decisions, there were some for, there were some against. However, hopefully with good attitudes and the ability to see things differently, we continue to be united and stand strong for our generation, for our children's generation, and for generations to come. It is truly about saving souls. It is about staying close to God. It is about growing in faith and in unity. Therefore, the psalmist said, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There's one promise from our Lord that I want to end with this morning because it just seems to fit. The gray areas are difficult. They're troubling. This whole matter of tolerance and what you tolerate and what you don't, what you fellowship or whom you fellowship and whom you choose not to fellowship. This is a difficult matter. But where I always tend to land in my thinking at least is in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, the great promise, and that is, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. The question is, as I struggle, how hungry and thirsty am I? Because I am confident there will be not the first lost, righteous person in the day of judgment. And if I'm hungry and thirsty, I will be filled. I think the mission statement fits who we are, who we want to be. It fits what God wants us to be. Striving to be completely committed followers of Jesus. Discipling, equipping, serving, and loving. May we be that. This morning we offer the invitation song. If you have needs, desiring prayer or desiring to put on your son, uh, God's son, in baptism by confessing his name and him as our Messiah, as Lord, repenting of sins, being baptized for the remission of sins. If you have needs today that we can pray for, we'd encourage you to come while we stand and sing.